All right, welcome to If You've Come This Far. Uh, in today's episode, we spend time with Dan Kemp. Dan is the headmaster and co-founder of the Peekaboo Street Academy. Uh, that name will probably ring a bell for, uh, for most listeners. Um, and this is a high school in Park City, Utah, for, for really student-athletes. And Sean and Dan have known each other for, for, for a little while now uh, through Men Living. Uh, so, Sean, why, um, why did we decide we, need, we needed to get Dan on the, on the show? You know, I was really interested in having a conversation with Dan for for a number of reasons. So, first of all, I just think he's he's a wonderful man um, who um, who's got a very interesting life. I mean, so he has been involved in creating a variety of schools. So, so just how he's gone about doing that as an entrepreneur, um, his focus on education, serving young people. Um, he's also worked on some homeless issues in Utah. Again, he's from Utah. And then he's just, he's an older dude who's, who's fucking mountain, mountain biking and, you know, skiing on, my guess is what, what's the, what's the toughest you can do? Is that like black diamonds? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But he's, he's, he's the kind of guy that's doing that kind of shit. And, um, and so I just think, I just, I just always thought he was an interesting guy to talk about. And I think, I think our conversation with him plays that out. And I wanted to bring the two of you together, both being kind of education guys. So not kind of being education guys. So, um, so that's why, that's why I thought it was an interesting conversation. Well, people like it. I'm definitely not going to cut out the part when I edit this, uh, any of this, I'm not going to cut out the part where you talk about Dan as being an old guy. Yeah. Cause uh, I'm sure he's going to appreciate that. He's an old guy. Um, but he is hardcore for, cause he's roughly our age, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and what he told, what he told us is cause I knew that he had had an appendectomy or appendicitis, yeah, which I think probably led to an appendectomy. Um, and I think he was telling us that he was out on his bike, like the week later or some, some goofy shit like that. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of a badass, I think from that perspective. Yeah, we did. We did spend some time talking about that appendicitis, and um, uh, a lot of people get away with appendicitis being not that traumatic an event. But he had a real go at that, right? Like that was, it got kind of hairy for him. Yeah, yeah. The doc was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, I think the doc was like, couldn't believe that he walked in. Yeah, right, right. Further evidence that he is kind of a kind of a stud. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you telling me you've never are you not a skier at all? I skied um, thirteen years when I was thirteen years old at a CCO or a, yeah, a CCO yeah, like with the church. We went to some mountain in New Hampshire, and uh, you didn't dig it. I don't really. I you know this about me. I don't really like winter. I don't think I had gloves. I think I was wearing. No. I think I was wearing Lee jeans and um <laughs> husky husky lean jean, lean jeans and like some sneakers i don't i don't think i was really ready yeah you weren't geared up for it no because you so. think boston like most people from boston can ski a little bit right they, that's where you learn how to ski on ice out there well and they, i lived in southern new hampshire too but it right. just wasn't it just kind of wasn't it wasn't a family thing it wasn't a wasn't in our wheelhouse hello hey dan hang on let me get the uh video going here you hey hey there we go what's how happening doing? how are you guys 
Nice to finally do this. How long, how, wait, how long ago did we have it first scheduled? Was it like <laughs> July? Let's say a little while ago. Yeah. Just that's, a little while ago. That's how we roll. Nice right? to meet you, Dan. Yeah. You as well, sir. When there was no snow plan, now we're waiting on a foot tonight. Oh, is that right? Yeah. A big storm from California is coming our way. So it gets up over the Rockies and all of a sudden it goes from tons of rain in San Francisco and all the rest to, uh, pounds and pounds of good old-fashioned snow for us look how excited you are yeah i have to tell you so the other day we were on a call and dan was like oh yeah we got two feet of snow yesterday and he was like this is the best ever and i'm like what (laughs) well yeah for us flatlanders two feet of snow equates to sucking right it's like shoveling and that's all that it means yeah but everybody gets that way out here it's funny you think oh how do you travel i'm like you should these guys, we spent so many freaking millions of dollars with orange snow plows and salt trucks and sand trucks, and they get the mountains and the canyons cleared so everybody can go skiing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, can you ski right out of your house? I mean, are you like in that kind of scenario where you... I, so I did. I used to. Uh, that yeah. was just, I could backcountry, like I could take the snowmobile out of the garage um, and I could, I could backcountry ski from literally snowmobile from my garage to Idaho or Wyoming. Um, and now the girls got older and they, they don't love that as much. And no, none of their friends, they would say, dad, we live out in the sticks and nobody's around. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they're like, now this sucks, dad. We can't even get pizza hut to deliver to us. I'm like, I know it's perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, wait, no. So I'm, I'm going to ask an embarrassing, uh, uh, what's well, a question that might reveal, um, some, some weakness in my geography but you uh i mean well so wait a minute so you said you could ski into idaho or utah or wyoming Wyoming. or or wyoming too so you're right there like the three corner what do you yeah utah sits and so i could kind of go up and out over to idaho and then wyoming sits on the other side oh my god are you native to that area so I actually was born here, mostly grew up and then moved and then came back and then moved again and then came back and then moved and then came back again. And are you so, done? Are you done moving or what? Come on now. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. New changes in life and things. I don't know. We'll did you see. always go back because you missed it or did it, was it just happenstance that you ended back? Um, one was I, I, I did want to come back. Um, one was a, a sad situation. My brother passed away um, mm-hmm. from colon cancer years ago, and he had four daughters um, that were young and little and, and needed to come back kind of thing. Um, and one was definitely sort of a college. Um, yeah, um, it went away to California, sat on the beach in Huntington Beach for a while, was like, this is great. I'm going to be a surf kid. This is so awesome. Traffic sucks. People are mean. This isn't very cool anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was wow. like, wait, I can go to school where, yeah. I mean, there were multiple times that you go to college and the professors, you know, you, you go to class and there's a note on the door that says, <coughs> very sick. See you in the Alta lift line. <laughs> <laughs> class is canceled. See you at the lifts. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Oh man. So were you that. going to school in California first? No, you, so I went to high school. I went to I went to high school. Oh, part okay. of, yeah, and then was okay. like, now a couple of buddies were still here, and then another friend that um, was younger was in Connecticut, and then he was coming back here, and I was like, I'm going to the U. Um, it's close to the mountains, and I like skiing. And California skiing didn't work very well in Huntington Beach, so yeah. time to go back. So yeah, yeah. one moved back for for want, one moved back for um, family stuff, and one moved back because it made sense. 
So, so um, I, I, uh, God, this is like a confessional. I'm going to talk about another one of my my problems, which is uh, I'm very judgmental, uh, and I'm working on not being as judgmental. But the reason I bring that up is because um, I can drive to my mom's house in Ohio, and I can judge people based on their license plates. You know, oh, they're from oh. Indiana. What? Where I'm going with this is. I'm guessing, and I'm not a big skier. I I, I wish I I wish I were a, a, a good skier, but um, I grew up in Ohio. In any case, is there? Do the people who ski and, and live and ski in Park City, um, like what? How would you describe them as opposed to people that decide they're going to be Colorado skiers? I'm guessing there are some some stereotypes. Very much. There are definitely some stereotypes. There are stereotypes, honestly, Chris. Um, sort of within Utah, right? So Colorado mm. skiers are a little more, um, oftentimes it depends on, uh, the diehard Colorado skiers are fairly close to the diehard Utah skiers. Um, they're just a little more, um, uh, how do I say it? A few too many um, black Amex cards in the wallets, things like uh-huh, that. Yeah. So yeah. we kind of joke about that. The Colorado skiers, that we used to joke about are the ones that show up to Colorado or have their second house or whatever. So they have the fur around the necks and stuff like that. Yeah. When you wear fur to go skiing, you're fucked. I mean, I'm sorry, but come on. Give me a break. Oh man. I'm the glad. Utah skiers, the diehard Utah skiers are like, if you show up in the Alta lift line and you don't have duct tape on something, boots or your coat because you tore it in the trees or something get the hell out of the line what are you doing wow. you're opposing wait and and just for everyone you're how old now how old are you now 52 yeah 52 right you're not on. like 35 talking about this and now no, it's yeah. still the same thing i mean yeah. when you grow up that way and it just is what it is um yeah people still i mean i get i get i'm fortunate i'm very blessed and i'm lucky to to still have good knees and things like that but yeah, when when you go to Colorado, everybody um, talks about how well it's groomed, mm-hmm. and you know Alta is like we groom like four runs for the guys that show up that are from California. That's about <laughs> what we do. Everything else is if you can't ski it, get the hell off the mountain. Wait, so um, so fifth, so I'm fifty one. Uh, we won't say how we try not to say how old Sean is on the show. Um, <laughs> He's so, like, what? Look at him looking at me. Oh my god. So, um, uh, but so you're still skiing backcountry, still skiing bumps and and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah. Much as I, as much as I can when I can enjoy it. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like I said, it kind of keeps you young out here. I mean, that Park City mentality, very laid back. Um, pretty fit. I mean, guys like to get out and, and do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little less, we always joke about it, uh, Chris, back to your original question about Colorado, but you know, the Colorado thing is like, you show up at a spin class and, you know, three of the guys of uh, three of the teachers that are up front of all um, run the Ironman or whatever, and they'll all tell you about it. Mm-hmm. In Utah, the guys, there's 12 of them that have all run Ironman and everything in there in the back of the class. Uh-huh. Just as quiet and as calm as can be. Like, <laughs> don't look at me, man. Oh, that's now, now, you talk about a spin class. You also mountain bike, right? If I remember. I do. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't. Sean, it was kind of interesting. I, I um, 
this is uh, so is this part of the i mean do you take yeah this we're part? going yeah we yeah this is how we roll yeah we meant yeah. to tell you we we, we, uh, yeah. we don't like to miss anything we also like to warn people um you you're the the one f drop f bomb you've dropped already is definitely sorry part of the show. No, 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 no 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 it's all good <laughs> it's all in well there. i think like i told you i think i told dan that we were gonna talk before we started recording but that's what i was thinking just, is this the yeah. talk part or is this no the go this part? is just yeah we're just going awesome Great. Yeah. So I hadn't mountain biked for quite a while. Um, I kind of with younger kids and just doing a lot of family stuff. And so then about, oh, I would say maybe three years ago or so, Sean, I really got back into it. I was into it for a while. Um, and again, great, just absolutely wonderful um, trail systems and places here. Yeah. You can bike right out of the garage you know, here to, I don't know, 75 miles of, of mm. just really good trail systems. And so that is also interesting in Utah. You kind of run into a couple of friends that are on the trail and they're, you know, two-time Olympians and they're like, oh yeah, let's go up to the top. And I'm like, no, I can't keep <laughs> up, man. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be sucking for air and wind, but yeah, it's a good time. There's some great friends and some great trails, a lot of Spending time outside in the mountains is just a very uh, fulfilling experience. It just fills yeah. you up. Yeah. Yeah. Big mountain fan. Yeah. Chris, yeah. I got to ask you a couple things, but I just tell me a little bit about the education side because I, Sean and I have talked back and forth slightly, but uh, help me understand. I want to, I want to hold you off for a there. second. I want to okay. hold you off for a second because we talked about 52 and being fit. And one of the things that we haven't covered is you just had an issue i mean that you know uh you just had appendicitis i think is that right oh and I, so so you have to talk i mean because we haven't had an opportunity and i hopefully <laughs> you know our listeners will be interested in it um i am so can you ta- tell us kind of what you just went through sure yeah absolutely sean <laughs> I, I have to start giggling about it because i still don't take it maybe as serious as some other folks um did or do <laughs> It, it was very much truly my first, um, I guess, experience. I mean, I had not ever spent a night in the hospital, um, knock on wood as I knock on my head, yeah. but thankfully. Um, and so all of a sudden, um, Sean referenced and he and I chatted about it just briefly, but wasn't feeling great. This was the end of July, it had to be. And uh, maybe end of August, I can't remember. Anyway, and it was a Friday and I was, gosh, just... Sadly, hadn't taken care of myself real well that day. So I was feeling very hungry, um, Chris, and was running all over town, running a bunch of errands and things. And uh, it just honestly started throwing up that night. And I'm not a big unhealthy guy that way. So I thought, man, something must be wrong. Went home, um, kind of laid on the couch and was, was hurting a little bit on Saturday. And again, not a common factor for me. Um, did the same thing by Sunday. I was like, man, alive. It's in the evening. I'm, I'm actually really hurting. I better go to the Instacare. Um, they'll give me something and it'll all be fine. And so drove myself to the Instacare and the guy gave me one poke in the stomach and went, what are you even doing standing up? Your appendix ruptured. Oh, it's, shit. it's at least a day or even two. Your appendix is ruptured. Like, get in my car. We need to go to the ER. And I'm like, nah, I'll drive myself. So... <laughs> Hopped back in the car, drove to the hospital, went in the ER, and the doc said, "Yep, sure enough, you're you're next on the table, bud. We got to get this thing out of there. It has ruptured." So, did that, 
um, and actually thought I was 100% fine after the first day. Surgery was fairly easy. And, you know, whatever, just under 24 hours later, I was back home like, okay, let's recover from appendicitis. Um, got it out. And sure enough, my, my body doesn't respond incredibly well to surgery as that was the first one I've had. And so the stomach bound up and it got tight and twisted and the muscles wrapped around it. And so my daughter got me back to the hospital, thankfully. And he said, sure enough, you're, you're tightened up and you're bound up and we're in trouble. You can't eat anything <laughs> or drink anything or anything at all. So got one of those fun tubes, guys, up the nose and down the back of the throat, an NG tube. Whew, that was not fun. And laid in the hospital for... I guess about seven days. Yeah, um, wow. yeah. And they said, we're either going to cut you open from stem to stern and, and lay everything out on the table and take out the bad part and put it all back in, hopefully the right way. Um, <laughs> or we're going to fix this all up with shutting down um, other systems like stomachs and pancreas and all those good things other than hearts and lungs. And uh, fortunately, it went my way. So seven days later, the doc came in and we yanked out the NG tube and yeah. That was uh, that was the start of recovery, and about four weeks later, maybe three weeks later, I was trying to get back on the mountain bike and go for a ride. Now, no. what, what, so what did uh, uh, there must be a more uh, technical diagnosis than things are all all tied bound up, up. Or, yeah, bound, bound up, up yeah. or whatever? What, what do we call that? <laughs> it was actually an abdominal blockage. So that's truly what it was. My, I said this to Sean possibly um, just to make light of it again and humor, but. My doc was an old horse guy. And so he said, oh yeah, when horses bound or when they twist, they get a twisted stomach. They go out in the pasture, they blow it up and then they die. And he said, so you bound up and started to bloat. So and I was like, hey man, you have an MD. That's not funny. Like you have a PhD degree. That's not humor. Bad bedside table, man. <laughs> well, um, so, so, we could start by making this a public service announcement to all 50 something year old men to not wait three fucking days before you go. I mean, right. Cause yeah, uh, we really I'm don't. a badass. I don't, I don't need to go see the doctor. That was not a smart thing on my part, gentlemen. It really wasn't. I had never experienced really needing to go to the ER before the doctor right. that way. Right. Um, but I was, I was not as intelligent as I had hoped I um, could count myself to be in that experience, guys. I was not. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you probably have a pretty high pain threshold too. It yeah, sounds like right. so. Well, so the that, ER doc said so. He said you have a really stupid pain tolerance, and it's not good for you. <laughs> thought, yeah. Well, yeah. As I'm standing here in the ER, that's pretty obvious. Well, and the fucking the bound shit for one thing. I mean, that's you're lucky. It sounds like that you got through that, but also the ruptured appendix. I mean, you're supposed to get to that shit before yeah. that happens. Um, yeah. So, so, so this was not a little thing that happened to you. No, uh, actually, truly, when I started, when I got home and actually read through, and I remember the doc talking about it, but reading through discharge paperwork and operation procedures, I like medical um, issues and things. So I was obviously for the first time reading through my own, and there were factors of things like gangrene. And I thought, yeah, that's not a good thing. That'll kill you. Yeah. Sepsis. You get that around the body. You get septic. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So closer than I wanted to be, gentlemen. Uh, Well, I'm glad you're healthy. Um, uh, A personal question. Are you you married? 
I was. I am not any longer, but I was. Yes. So I had. Uh, I have two daughters, um, and my wife. But uh, unfortunately, that came to an end. So, I, I, and my head goes there because I uh, am lucky to have. I, I was lucky to marry up, and I, and she's still sticking with me. Um, and she would have been that person who would have policed my health in that in that scenario, right? She would have been the one that that would have forced me to get and get out of the house, get to the hospital, whatever. So um, who does that? Who fills that role for you right now? Well, I do it really well for myself, except in that occurrence. (laughs) (laughs) So for one, (laughs) there's definitely, um, it's been a little bit, but I have had um, and, and really been able to change those roles a little bit. Chris, it's been um, one of those factors that um, guy friends were at a minimum for a while. Um, I did the classic and maybe it was, I don't know how deep we want to get into this topic, but, uh, I find myself, um, at blame for some of those things. Right. And I joke with other friends that, um, for a bit of time, my relationships were, um, the husbands of the women that my wife hung out with. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was very light and it was, how you doing? And what's the weather? And hmm, how about that football game? Um, and to be blunt and honest, I was um, deep in search for um, more meaningful relationships with guys um, and meeting Sean and Chris, now meeting you and going through some of the men living thing and asking for and being ready for those relationships is something that I took very seriously um, and then dove into So there are several friends now um, that absolutely fill that role, that check in with me. I'm checking in with them. I'm heading out uh, over the weekend to help a friend get a car to to his son. And things that were more, um, how do I say it with, with emphasis, much more superficial and meant less previously. mean a great deal now and those relationships have depth and i couldn't be happier with it i'm thrilled with those relationships thrilled with those folks in my life now that mean a lot to me so you're you're in a good place it sounds like i mean now that you've fixed your stomach um uh you know it sounds like all 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 pistons are firing yeah is certainly better than being excited about uh getting through one whole snack pack of vanilla pudding. Yes. Yes. I'm feeding myself better. I got some protein. I got some energy. I got some smiles and absolutely keep on going, man. Keep on trucking and uh, keep pursuing happiness. You bet. So I'm always curious. What's the first real meal you had after that? I mean, what were you (laughs) longing for? Ah, damn, Sean. I, I had some really odd cravings in the hospital when you don't get food and then all of a sudden you think of these really weird things that I hadn't really thought of for a tremendously long time. Um, but I would honestly say one of my favorites probably is sushi. Mm. So the first I, I had to work up to, um, you know, to really, they were like, you can have a little bit of rice and you can have a little bit of, you know, whatever small substances, um, smoothies and power drinks and little things like that, that would, would, helped me um, regain energy. And when I was cleared for full food and all the rest, I went straight to sushi. One mm-hmm. of my favorites. Mm-hmm. 
Did you lose a, a, a shit ton of weight through this whole process? You know, um, yeah, for a bit. And it was good to gain some back. I didn't, I mean, I'm not sure it was a ton. I think I, I think I totaled out at maybe like 11 or 12 pounds okay. through those, through those couple of weeks. Yeah. But back to, um, activities and wanting to be, I really enjoy hiking. I really enjoy skiing, mountain biking, being active, getting out there. So, um, these hikes and, and being with and spending time with really great guy friends in the mountains, um, yeah, you need some energy. You got to keep up. Got to lead the pack sometimes. Change the view doesn't change unless you're at the front. So yeah. it's good to do. Uh, so uh, just this past weekend, uh, my wife and I were out to dinner with some friends, and and for whatever reason, we were talking about um, colon cancer. Her dad died mm. of colon cancer when she was three, and he was thirty or whatever. And my dad died wow. when he was like sixty-two or something like that. And so we're we're both the beneficiaries of of plenty of colonoscopies um how old did you say your brother was so my brother was 43 when he passed oh so and he had a good battle i i respect and value him a tremendous amount and um i guess if you believe in it from from another side still talk to him frequently and often so i have a mm. good relationship that way but um man he put up a good fight chris so it was more than 10 years of a battle for him oh yeah yeah, it was a tough one. And you and you guys were buddies? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had a great time. Um, he moved out of state when I was younger, and so we, we missed a couple of those years. But fortunately, he was actually back in Utah um, for much of, of his battle, um, about eight years. And so we had, uh, yeah, we spent some good time together. Um, I think as everybody would reflect back on it, I think that is one of those um, – heartstrings right at poles um and you think to yourself man I, I can't believe i i didn't stick around that one weekend and why did yeah. i have to go back to work work wasn't important and and yet life did need to go on and he taught me that lesson as well so um i spent some time i certainly would have loved to have spent every moment um but but didn't take that advantage and he has a family and he needed to spend time with them so um the time we did spend we made worthwhile do you um does your uh i want to make a word up here does your uncleship to his kids uh does that is that uh, a special thing i mean or where where are those kids located really fortunately they're here um in utah for the most part one has moved away a couple of times multiple state moves um but does get to come back here fairly frequently and yeah it's uh it's been amazing to be <laughs> an uncle to young girls i mean as they were um, when their father was was here with us and then to watch them go through that experience to watch them truly grow educate um, find spouses that they truly love uh, marry and now have kids and watching them be moms is I mean a gift just a true gift it's fun to see those little kids and, and to get together with them but to actually see nieces be moms um, is a pretty cool experience getting to, and, and, and being aware of it, honestly, Chris, being, uh, being able to ingest that and um, watch, watch young women that you admire and respect become moms is, yeah, true blessing. What's really interesting too is your, is, so your, your brother had four girls, you have two, right? Two, correct. 
So surrounded by young women, uh, how, so how would, how would you, how would you say you have handled supporting those, you know, four nieces of yours, as well as your, your two daughters as kind of a father figure, I would guess. I mean, certainly a father to your two daughters, but to your nieces as well. How did you approach that? Um, nervously is probably the first word that comes to mind. Um, I mean, obviously I was a bit young, um, when my brother passed away and to, what was the age difference? Uh, he is 11 years older than myself. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and get this as well. But so in my family, there are five kids. My brother was the first, then three daughters, then myself. So I oh, have wow. three sisters, four <laughs> nieces, two daughters <laughs> for hell's sakes. Let's get some testosterone <laughs> yeah. around here. Huh? Yeah. Gentlemen. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. It, it was, Sean, it's a good question. And, and it, this is a different path than I thought we might be taking. So I'm searching for words a little bit it's more personal than I, than I originally uh-huh. thought, but very honestly, I like deep conversations and I enjoy real people. So yeah. happy to answer the questions. Um, it made me nervous at first. My father, yeah. um, who is an incredible grandfather to those nieces, um, uh, showed, showed those young women, um, early on, um, what a kind and respectful man is. Um, mm. and I tried very hard to follow in those footsteps mm. and, and do a lot of teaching by showing. Um, and so when they were meeting young men and well, this guy's, he's kind of nice, but nope, we're done. Get him out of here. You want some help? Cause I'll be right there. I'll be waiting on your doorstep. Yeah kind of nice isn't a way to start a partnership right i made my mistakes i mean making my choices and things and partners and so the reality of those young women um seeing what a, a, a father figure and a dad can um expect and what deep love truly is my own daughters i would say um <laughs> maybe even almost to a flaw every once in a while, my oldest daughter, who's now a junior in college, stunningly proud of both of my daughters. They're amazing young women, but my older daughter, who's, who's gone through the college experience um, now perhaps has seen it a little bit differently. Like, wow, dad, you talked to me about there being some real jerks out there, but there are some real jerks out there. Mm -hmm. And so understanding how to navigate and, and, be of worth and know your own value and know that there are ways to attract, um, um, maybe, maybe be of value yourself and, and, and be aware of who to attract and who is attracted to you and for what reasons. Um, making patient decisions was always one. Um, in particular for my nieces, their father was, I mean, I could get choked up, but um, just an unbelievably genuine heart-driven man Mm. Um, in dealing with his young daughters at the time when they were very young. And I would watch him as well and see that communication and talking through something as simple as, dad, I want another lollipop, right? Well, let's talk about that. Why? Mm. What do you think? Let's talk about when is dinner? Well, what would be a good decision? It just was 
man alive, um, teaching people patience through yeah. showing patience. Um, my brother did a great job of, of teaching me and showing me how to do that. So mm. very honestly, I tried my best to emulate and do some of those things that were respectful and that could be respected. It's beautiful. Thanks. Still trying. <laughs> so, so I, I, it was really important to me at some point to bring the two of you together. And Dan, you, you kind of teed it up a little bit when you started to ask Chris about education. Um, you know, one of the, you and I had a conversation once about, uh, kind of all the work you've done in the education space. And while I haven't ever worked there, I, I find education to be a really interesting topic of conversation. And so, um, you know, maybe, maybe before we bring Chris in, tell us a little bit about your, your kind of your current, current work. Um, and then a little bit of your, your history, maybe to where you got to this point. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. It's, it starts, I think a little bit with, um, my core beliefs in terms of education. So just to start out, I'll tell you that I have, uh, a very deep belief system in, in sort of non-traditional education, um, being very student-centric and being very driven by what the student needs. Um, so my current position is I'm a founder. Um, I started a school. Um, I own that school. It is a private academy here in Park City, Utah, that works most specifically um, with high-level elite student-athletes. And that position <clears throat> came obviously out of my creation, but <clears throat> excuse me, the position prior to that was with the USC team. And so I started a school, um, a private, again, um, high school academy for um, development team athletes um, at USSA, um, United States Skiing and Snowboarding Association. So that's the NGB or the national governing body for US ski team athletes and snowboarding athletes. Um, what drove that was several years, Sean, in previous positions as well, when um, students really had a different need than the traditional system. I am by no means and have never been anti-traditional system because it's, it's, it's great. It fits very well for the right student. When it doesn't fit, unfortunately, boy, it really doesn't fit. And so students that became um, <clears throat> on the threshold or on the um, sides of really that traditional education model and needed uh, another time to study, or in my case, um, I really started to witness and watch so many kids who had an, an ulterior passion. I've always been active and always enjoyed sports. And in particular, skiing has always been a passion. Um, I'll joke about it myself, um, Sean, and I can go all the way back to the job, but I think I took my first post-college um, job with a, a wonderful man, uh, Dr. Balmer, who turned into a bit of a mentor, um, but our interview focused around, well, how many days could I ski during the week? Um, and if I can take this job and still ski, then I'll take it. If I can't, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that was a whole bunch of years ago. Um, back to, I really had a, a bit of an epiphany in really watching kids who have a passion, 
in my case, they were trying to make the development team. They were trying to go to the Olympics. They were trying to be the best athlete they could. And those athletic pursuits would take them away from the ability to attend school. Their coaches wanted to train them. They showed incredible promise toward their athletic dreams and um, skiing and racing gates and going to different camps and traveling the world to compete does not fit well with a opening bell that starts at 8.15 or 8.30 in the morning and school gets out at 3.20 and that's what the traditional system led to. Um, so we made some alternatives. We made some real innovation and some really very um, out there pushing the limits of individualized um, education and personalizing education towards athletes. All the way back to and kind of filling in a, a big section of my history in the middle was working with um, some additional special needs kids and some kids in residential treatment programs that were incredibly bright kids often who really got themselves off track. Um, and I enjoyed learning from some great people and some great mentors in um, a bit of my specialty in starting schools. There were visions of, man, I think we can do this better than it's being done. And nobody's doing it yet. And that's really scary. Um, but let's go ahead and leap into this space and try it. Um, and we had some good success. So at this current time, I do run the academy. Um, again, it's, it's something I founded. And um, what I love about it is being able to work with the kids and the families. It's the best part of my day. Um, when my day is filled up with all kinds of administrative things and paperwork and all the rest, man, I, I tend to come away a bit grumpy. <laughs> I really enjoy the students. I really enjoy the families. I really, for myself personally, Sean, I'll answer that question that you didn't even ask about personal, but why I do this, um, being able to create those solutions and make a change for someone else in their life that they may not even know that will benefit them tremendously down the road, but all of a sudden I stuck around in this for now 29 years. I'm almost going to be 30 years in the educational space. So seeing those kids really come out of it with tremendous success and, and witnessing and understanding that that opportunity wasn't there previously is a great joy for me. It's fun to create solutions and it's fun to be innovative um, and push the educational space a bit. All right, this is this is where Lozier takes over. Go ahead, Sweet. Chris. No, 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 no. It's, I, I have so many questions. But, I know uh, you do. Well, I, uh, so for one, so um, so you, but you need you need to give uh, Dan a sense of what you're doing in the space too, in education. I think that might uh, help. But okay, but but really, my questions aren't don't have anything to do with what I do. But oh, but, okay. But I will uh, real quickly, Dan. So. Uh, um, I was uh, a submarine officer and then worked in the private sector in the finance world and recreated around Obama one into the nonprofit space uh, and have been sort of in different capacities in the education space, ran uh, a charter management organization in Chicago for a while and have done different things. I'm currently the, the COO of a national nonprofit called the National Center for Teacher Residencies, which tries to change the way we, we train teachers in, 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 the, in this country. Um, um, and we can get more into that. 
Definitely. I, I, I'm, I'm not interested. An, I'm not an educator. I am, you know, I'm the the data um, uh, finance business operations knowledge management guy. Um, I work with a lot of really bright educators uh, and ride their coattails and try to help them. But 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 I'm I am fascinated. So and I don't know if you named your academy. It's the Peekaboo Street Academy, right? Correct. Yes, Peekaboo Street Academy. That's mine. And it's it's not a boarding school, right? Correct. Because because when I think about how you're going to individualize education for these kids who have uh, such a uh, other demands on their time, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a more holistic approach to getting navigating life through the time when you're 14 to the time you're 18 and trying to have a career in sports. It sounds like um, how do you manage that as a day school? Yeah, it's very interesting. So each student really becomes an individualized um, recipient of the services, right? So I love the questions that parents and sometimes students will ask. Things like, well, what time does class start, right? When does the first bell go off? What time is my English class? And, and I get the intense enjoyment out of just looking right back at them and saying, well, when do you want it to start? So Chris, your question of managing that the intensity becomes a real power switch, if you will. Um, it makes it very hard, right? We have all kinds of students on all kinds of different schedules. I have kids in other parts of the world right now, and my Alpine kids leave tomorrow. Um, so students are traveling via their own athletic schedule, and they're working on their school schedules, sometimes with three-week breaks in the middle of December when it's not spring break or fall break as pre-scheduled. So we individualize the class and the student pace is driven on their own pace. So it's truly an enriched blended learning model. It takes the best of sort of classroom model, right? Brick and mortar. It takes the best of sort of virtual um, where you can study at eight o'clock at night and finish assignments if you can be working at your own pace and driving your own um, academic model, right? The students become owners of their own academic um, success. And so they hold that weight on their shoulders, which again, we talk about, and Chris, you and I, we can get into college readiness and what teaching is and, and what you learn outside of the book learning in an academy. And I think what we do with our students is accelerate and bring down even some of those college ready freshman year, sophomore year, college aptitude pieces into that high school model. They're already traveling the world. They're already looking at budgets. Some of them are talking about sponsorships and things like that, reading contracts. What does this mean for me when I'm 22? Um, these, are, these are big time, you know, put on your big girl pants, put on your big boy pants, because these are big time decisions. How many students, Dan, and, uh, and what's the size of the staff? Yeah, so we like to keep it really small because we know how individualized it really is. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to give you a pretty raw number. We, yeah. we vary um, different times of the year with different students that might be um, accentuating or taking one or two classes, but we're around 55 students. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do like to keep it quite small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, uh, I could pepper you with a, a lot of questions that I think a lot of our listeners might find less interesting than this education-based guy so but i do but but i guess one way to ask my my sort of overarching question is say what is the peekaboo street academy 
best at? Is it cognitive learning, non-cognitive development, or sports? So I think it is, that's a great question. I think it's cognitive-based learning with project-based mastery peppered in there um, and heavily peppered. So those of us that like a little spice, we'll put some, uh, we'll put some sriracha on there too. But the reality of having some um, ownership in the time and the place with which you study and understanding that it works best when I do it this way, um, understanding and getting to know yourself as a young person at 15, 16, 17, 18 years old and what your needs are and how to get those needs met so that you reach the goal that you have is an amazing um, factor that we, 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 like I said before, we jumped into into the deep end. Now, that doesn't mean that every student's coming in, Chris, going, oh, I'm so excited about chemistry. It's wonderful. No, guys, not a chance on your life. Chemistry's still hard. Sometimes it still sucks, right? School still sucks. That's okay. But being able to do school in a way that provides you the opportunity to also pursue your passions and not get so far behind and not get... Um, Guys, we can go through these stories a million times, but I've had, uh, you know, U.S. ski team athletes be, um, quote unquote, kicked out of public school because, bottom line, they can't attend. Well, I personally think uh, going to the Olympics is a pretty good reason to miss school. So <laughs> for me, I think that's okay. I think that's, a, we'll call that an excused absence. Oh, you were at the Olympics? Well, you should have been here to listen to my <laughs> sophomore English lecture, right? Come on, guys. What's, so uh, we provide so, that. So, so, uh, but uh, you're, you're selling to, who do you think you're selling more to? The, 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 the 14, 15, 16 year old prospective student or the parents? Well, what's interesting for us is we try hard not to sell. I mean, the reality is we have several families that have come to us, Chris, and said, oh, this is this is excellent for my kid. He needs to finish, you know, um, I'll just take a, a weird example, U.S. history. Just again, in the trenches, you have to have U.S. history to graduate. Well, he didn't do too very, he didn't do all too well <clears throat> last year when he took it. So can we just take it with you? And I'm sure he can finish it in, I don't know, four or five weeks and just get it done. And we go, absolutely not. No. And we've actually literally had parents say, you're telling me you don't want my tuition check. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Because we have integrity in what we do, and you shouldn't be able to learn that level of academic work in four or five weeks. You're just trying to skirt through. That is not what the academy is about. That's not my dream. That's not what I built. So we don't do that, right? I'm fortunate. I get to wear a bit of a Superman cape. I built the school. It's my foundation. So hey, guess what? It has a lot of my philosophies and my thoughts to it. And when we're selling to a student, they get very excited. Um, man, I can do this. This sounds so cool. Ha, school isn't what I thought it was. This is awesome. What's interesting, Chris, is the parents, um, especially in the younger athletes, 14s and 15s, maybe even 16 pre-driver's license, are um, maybe even more excited than the kids. 
because now I have a model that I didn't really know existed before that can help me support my students, my yeah. athlete. I don't want my 16-year-old kid to drop out of high school, but I do want my kid to also go to that really cool camp in New Zealand in the middle of September because his coach says he's got incredible talent or she has incredible talent. So as a mom and a dad, we want to, um, how do I say it best? We want to support our child's dreams, right? And in doing so, I have several parents, Chris, that, and I've had countless parents break into tears in my office going, it is so hard to pick the right homeschool, be the mom, right? Be the disciplinarian, be the teacher, figure out chemistry. I can't even do algebra. Wait a minute. And then love my kid and be the mom. So we say all the time, we want you to be good moms and dads because you guys are really good at that. We're really good at being educators. So let us be the educators. It's, it's so funny. I just, as recently as today, I was convention with some work, work coworkers about how hard it is to parent in general, but especially teenagers. And then I work in the, in the teacher preparation space. And I've, I, to this day, I have a little brother who's taught for 25 years. And I think teaching is one of the hardest professions. So I love this notion that you're like, okay, I'm going to take two of the hardest things to do in the world, parent and teach, and I'm going to do both of them. You're like, fuck, <laughs> no way is that ever going to be like, that's a, oh God, I can't even imagine. Um, a great analogy. And I appreciate the uh, abundance of work that you just laid on my shoulders. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Good luck to you. Uh, take care. This is the end of our call. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to reframe that question. I asked you a, mi a minute ago in, in your, on your sort of um, marketing material or your, uh, uh, which graph shows up at the top? Is it the percentage of, of graduates that get into the college that they want, or is it the percentage of graduates that make the U.S. ski team? We like the percentage of students that get into the college of their choice because we're the academic side. So the sports side will still stay with their coaching. We have, you know, families will call, and Chris, it's a good question, but families will call and talk about, well, do we need to switch coaches? And we go, look, we have swimmers, divers, bobsled, luge, Soccer, lacrosse, for us to have every one of those coaches at the highest level, right, right. not a chance on your life. We yeah. want the actual athletics to remain with the students where they can gain the best athletic opportunities. So do we think, you know, back to, back to model. I, so a question I have for you guys, I mean, the, the, the kid that got kicked out of public school because he want you know, because he was going to go to the Olympics. Um, you know, as a, as a model, there may be kids that have interests that go beyond, you know, uh, a hobby, um, you know, a kid's going to go to the Olympics, but isn't sports, isn't the Olympics. I mean, does the, does the, does the model, the average model um, stifle that type of learning for a young person that wants to spend, you know, 40 hours a week on their art versus, versus having to go to school on the traditional structure or does it, or because it feels like we fit into as individuals, we're fitting into the structure versus the, versus the educational model supporting us, which is what you're doing, Dan, you're creating a, an educational model, to support the individual. Um, it might be difficult to do given how many individuals there are, but I just wonder if you guys have, have a reaction to that. Chris, go ahead. Oh, man. Well, I mean, if I understand your question, I will 
I would say that in a perfect world, we could, we could personalize or individualize education for every kid. Uh, but the, the, the deterrent to that is cost in most cases. And I, I'll be frank, Dan, I, I was surprised looking at your website at, at how low your tuition is. Thank uh, you. I'll take that as a compliment. I tried very hard to keep it low. Yeah. I mean, my, my wheels are turning. I'm like, well, who's, who's financing this thing for, you know, uh, uh, but um, I don't care to get into that. I'm just sort of needling you a little bit, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the rub. So, but when you're talking about, when you're the U S department of education or you're Chicago public schools, whatever, and you're charged with educating several hundred thousand kids mm-hmm. um, with, with a budget that's, that's uh, already running a deficit, then you have to make different choices. But, you, but you know, I, and this is purely, this is based on no data whatsoever. And maybe you have more because you're, you're a data nerd is I have an assumption that the money that's being spent is not being spent in the wisest way. I have this expectation that if we, if we pulled back the covers and really dug into the budget, there could be a different way to do it. I, that's based on this total gut based on you know what you read in the series of different articles about you know pissing money away um and i just i i i think that's an easy i think that's an easy out for the reform of education because reform of education always seems like throw more money at it rather than rather than reforming education um i have totally totally opinion but yeah makes sense though sean it does and there's the reality that Um, Chris, I agree with you in many aspects. When the task is at hand, um, you know, to have 3,000 kids in a high school um, and to make sure that they are um, occupied from 8.30 in the morning to 3.20 in the afternoon, which is our viewpoint of classical education has not changed since the Industrial Revolution, right? Um, We build a building, we put all the kids in it, we ring the bell a few times and we educate them. Um, and you listen to what the teacher says because the teacher knows all. Well, oftentimes the drive of a student, and, and again, I, I have said this many times, um, I finally think that I have in my personal life adjusted to the reality that it is important to find that true love. But the idea of this being something that the students get to um, they really get to, to sink their teeth into, Sean, because they have found uh, so often that passion. So I get to wear that Superman cape. They oftentimes come, Chris, whether it's any passion outside of, we have actors, right? We have kids that this model just simply works much better for. The pace of a math class, right? I've taught, I've, I've been in the school system. So you're up there and you're writing Pythagorean theorem across the board and you look back and go, does anyone have any questions? And nobody raises their hands. So you go, well, okay, I, I, we'll move on. Half the class is going, Pythagor who? What? I don't know what you're talking about. So the reality is we get to, again, at Peekaboo Street Academy and in our live one-to-one teaching brick and mortar setting, we, we get to have that relationship with the student to individualize and truly customize that learning experience. Wow, we're going through Pythagorean theorem. Sean really just unfortunately didn't get it. So Sean, we're going to spend some more time on that today. We're going to go into this room and do one-to-one teaching and one-to-one learning where it's almost a tutoring type setting, but it is a driven um, 
focus, right? We can spend that time. Now, in another lesson, we're going through another theorem, proofs in geometry, and Sean goes, oh, I totally get this. Why would I have to wait and go over each workshop or each worksheet and do the front and back or the odd numbers and do homework tonight? I already got it. I got it in the lesson. So it's very mastery based. And all the way back, Chris, to what you mentioned, it, I don't think that that is possible in the way that the design of classical traditional education, industrial revolution education is built. You just, you, you can't, for lack of a better term um, or a lack of a better analogy, I'll use, I'll use cars, but you just can't take a little Porsche 911 four-wheel driving. It doesn't go over bumps well. And I can't pick up truck. And I can't speak to the efficacy of what's gone on over the last, you know, year and a half with, with COVID and how that truly disrupted this, this traditional model of education. Um, But it kind of felt like an opportunity to reassess. And I think, and it appears anyways, from, from a distance that it wasn't about reassessing. It was about getting back to the old way as Mm -hmm. fast as we could. And and maybe the data, Chris, bears out that the old way is very effective. It just feels like, I, I, I don't know, maybe it just feels like there's a lot of kids that aren't benefiting from a good educational system. It, it is funny. Like, you're not, gonna, you're not talking to a guy who's on the side of traditional education, um, but it is, there are a lot of sort of, a lot of forces at work here. And so you're, you're, you're driving an aircraft carrier. And so to get sort of radical change or reform, which is sort of a word that we don't use as much anymore, um, or at least in my world, we don't. um, Cause I think like the Gates foundation found out that that was working against their, their their efforts in a lot of ways Mm. Uh, and the Walton foundation and all the big hitters. But um, you know, you're dealing with uh, very powerful teachers unions, you're, you're dealing with districts that are having to make uh, budget decisions on a 12 month horizon, right? Mm-hmm. So you could convince them like in our case, for example, it's like, look, if you pay a little more upfront, you can get teachers who are day one ready, right? Um, because they've been through a year-long residency program. Um, you, you can get hard, hard, teachers uh, to take harder-to-fill positions. You can get teachers of color, which we know from research uh, helps not just students of color, but all students. And you get teachers who stay in the classroom longer, right? Pretty compelling package. But the problem is you've got district financial decision makers who are like, well, that's great, but I got to fucking balance this budget for the next 12 mm-hmm. months, yeah. right? And so there, there are all these forces that work. I, you know, we joked last year with our kids. I'd be interested to hear if, if you guys have heard this before, but like these young kids were like, oh shit, we're ne- there's no such thing anymore as a snow day. Now here we are. We started the podcast talking about snow, right? <laughs> but like, we're never going to get a snow day again, because if it snows too much for us to go to school in downtown <laughs> Chicago, we'll just, they'll just do it virtually. Well, yeah. to, to your point, Dan, like they, we've not, all those things we learned about, doing virtual education well they're not using anymore yeah correct it's like you know like so so now covid's still around and my kids got is congested one day and she has to stay home and and she has to get a covid negative covid test and be symptom free for 24 hours so she misses three days and she can't do shit because uh because we can't figure out a way to incorporate all these virtual learning things that we've learned over the last year and a half so it's crazy um and you know i mean 
if you choose to work in the education space, uh, unless you're Dan and you, you're you're uh, uh, an Uber entrepreneur and you go start your own thing, yeah. uh, you're beholden to a lot of sort of antiquated ways of thinking and doing business. Hmm. Well, and it's interesting because I'm with you guys. There's some real advantages to classroom settings, and there are some advantages to public school scenarios. I'm I'm all for them. The reality of meeting that niche. This is a small niche. You know, I knew that going in, right. I knew this was going to be hard work, never shied away from hard work. It, it is. And that's okay. Because the benefit and the gain of customizing and giving a student an opportunity um, to truly grow and learn, right? There isn't someone else in this space, Chris, you and I mentioned it briefly, or I did, I think, but the idea that in teaching, when I'm going through the Pythagorean theorem, I look back in the classroom and no one has any questions. I move forward. When I'm looking at Sean saying, do you understand A squared plus B squared equals C squared? And he goes, um, yeah, I know exactly what I get to do. We get to spend more time on Pythagorean theorem. Yep. So we're going to dive deep into it. And so the learning and the mastery of it is great. But Sean, I really like what you said. The rush to get back to what we know. I think there's some knee-jerk reaction to that. Personally, I wish that you know some of the some of the families that had to go into online learning for covid were like this isn't great my kid didn't learn anything and some of the kids in fact many of the kids were like wow this is really cool i learned a lot and i got through much of my work and it didn't take as long as it needed to Mm -hmm. right there's great studies out there university of california um colleges did one that averaged the time in the top four high school populations. So New, New Trier um, uh-huh. in Chicago is one, um, top, top high schools, top populations. And they said, you know, what is the time in a classical 90-minute classroom <clears throat> uh, high school course that's actually based in learning? So take a guess, guys. I'm interested, Chris. How much of 90 minutes, how many minutes do you think was quote unquote, actual learning time. In a traditional classroom setting. 90 minute classroom setting. Uh, 45 minutes. 25. Sean, what's your guess? 25. 27. 27 minutes out of 90 minutes was actual hard, like, yes, this is learning time. And, and that's tough to go through. When you look at a student who's going to four or five class periods a day, 90 minutes each, and, and not even really getting half of that time as wow, this is real learning time. Frustrating for some families. So we, we jumped into an area and started to push the innovation in an area that wasn't present previously. I think if those classrooms had Chris's teachers in them, they'd probably much more effective, right? Much. Well, that's yeah. the, the, that's the, the thing about teaching is to be, is the skill of observation. And, and, and I mean, this is what I've always been a huge fan since the early days of Khan Academy, because I think sure, that it enables, yeah, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, do you guys uh, use Khan much at, uh, at the Academy? So we do a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of a secondary. There's several different um, partnerships that we have that we will employ. Um, we've had a new one that's really cool for us that is a concurrent enrollment piece for some of the higher end academic students that can take a concurrent high school and college course with the University of Arizona. So if we get through, Uh let's say, our four years of math and they're taking like math 1050, right, as their senior year math or something like that, um, they gain both the high school and the college credit. So 
that's been a new innovation that we just recently, of course, that's been really fun to do. So yeah, we'll use Khan Academy. We'll use several other types to just really do everything we can to help that learning sort of cement and, and become solid for the student. I'm curious, Dan, how long did it, what was the time frame between conception and execution when you opened the doors of the academy? Um, <laughs> well, maybe we'll bring back in that appendicitis because I tend to be a little, uh, a little crazy in my thoughts sometimes. So um, it should have been a little longer, but I had a great experience in doing it with the USD team. Mm -hmm. So that was a good year and a half inception. And I said, man alive, this is a need in our local community. I want to fit that need. So we're taking a 12 month inception period time. Wow. So we actually went just about 11 months from we're going to do this to let's open the doors. We're ready. Students are enrolled. Um, Dan, um, so first of all, you know, I, I love the sound of the academy and I, I know enough about education to know that you're, you're, you're working your ass off, but I do want to ask you how many days did you ski last year? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> oh, he does. Yeah. I totally do. <laughs> Wait, you should. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's put it this way. COVID put a real stink on a bit of our year, a bit of our numbers, because yeah, chairlifts are wonderful and they take people up real fast and you could get half days in or just a few good runs. So that was on the kibosh last year. Um, I will tell you this, Chris, my uh, early days, if I didn't, if it wasn't somewhere between 80 and hundred, um, it wasn't a great year and, you know, having young kids and, and all the other responsibilities put a, a bit of a push on that. So it was probably down more in the forties and fifties, um, back country last year was probably in the low twenties. We didn't have a great snow year. Utah's in a drought this year, but so it was, a, it was a pretty low year last year to be out there with the skis on the backpack and the snowmobile. And I probably put in about 40 days. So I'm trying to, it's cause I have no idea. So how long is a skiing session? I'm trying to compare it to a round of golf. Like, did you play a hundred rounds of golf or, I mean, is it a couple hours? Is it? No, I'd put it at a good, I'd put it at a good four to five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, and again, last year was, there was a lot going on in my world last year. So I will put it at, mm -hmm. uh, last year was probably on the very shy end. We're going to be pushing hopefully a good 75 this year. See, he still hasn't lost his priorities. <laughs> Maintains his priorities. Gotta yeah, have priorities. Do, do your daughters ski with you? Yeah. You know, it was super fun to have my daughters and, and, it was interesting to ski with some of my buddies because they would say, Oh, you're, you're going to go ski with your, your girls today. And I'm like, man, I have a lot of fun chasing my little girls when they were young, especially chasing them around the mountain and challenging them to, you know, um, step up and challenge themselves and just have a really fun time skiing. So when they were super young, that was great. Um, both of them have a little bit of other passions. They get to choose theirs and I get to choose mine. They still mm -hmm. both love skiing. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's probably either of their number one passions. Mm. So it's a little interesting that way. Um, <laughs> again, I'll refer to a story that I think just again, popped into my head, but my older one, my oldest daughter, um, <laughs> she has said a couple of times, well, it's a little bit hard dad to be 14 or something and be skiing around the mountain and then up 
slides a couple of other guys on their skis and they're talking about going to the Olympics next year. And you're like, okay, girls, let's chase these guys. And so my 14 and 12 year old didn't really love chasing Olympians around the mountain too much. Uh, Dan, I have a 16 year old daughter and a 13 year old daughter. And um, my relationship with those two girls is, is, is different. Um, I'm actually, <laughs> speaking of Colorado, uh, I just planned a trip to, to look at colleges out in Colorado with my older daughter uh, about three weeks from now, which I hope will be a good trip for uh, the two of us. Um, and I'm curious about your relationship with your two girls and, and, and with their mom. And I mean, like, uh, are you tight with both of them or is it different? Like, how's that work? Man, there's a lot of difference. Um, there's a whole bunch of difference, both in age, um, I think, and in experiences. My older is, uh, she went away to college a little bit earlier. She's 17 when she went. Um, she had some really um, high-level academic pursuits that she wanted. And, and uh, at that time, my wife and I really supported that, I think, extremely well. Um, my younger daughter doesn't love school as much, which is okay. She has other passions as well. Very um, incredible caregiver, incredible young girl in getting her EMT license, um, already has her nurse certificate. Um, so she works a lot in the caring industry and works with um, elder care right now um, and just does some fantastic, uh, amazing things. So relationships are always different, Chris. And it's, I think, tough to... Um, Man, there's, there's not a comparison, but I can answer that question to say, absolutely, my relationship with both daughters is different, for sure. And, and I think, again, my own philosophy is it has to be. Um, they're both different kids. Um, we went through different experiences at different times in their lives. And so along with that, you bet, different experiences and understanding and relationships come from that. Well, I know there's a, a, a high demand for caregivers and nurses these days, um, so it's it's uh, it's a good place to spend one's life efforts. I think it so. Is. Good for yeah, her. She's an amazing young woman. Um, Sean, should we? Uh, you, we got some questions. Yeah. To ask this. To ask yep. this cat. Um, yep. do, do you have anything else you want? To, any other ground? No. You want to cover before you no. We I'm just glad glad Dan made it through the appendectomy appendicitis the whole thing so that he could be here with us today so <laughs> absolutely for right pray but, for more snow gentlemen i'm glad and i appreciate the invitation to do it i'm happy that we got it done it was a lot of fun to have some time to talk to you guys this afternoon is all this, right so you got go, go ahead well i'm just i'm curious is the snow falling outside yet is it coming not yet? Down yet no it's raining um so we're waiting for the temp to drop below about 30 31 yeah, ish um, the high elevations are supposed to get there. We're probably about 38 or 39 and outside of my window right now. So a little too warm, man. We need the temps to drop. We need some snow to fly. I'm ready. I, I love it. I just, I like, I can sense through the zoom call, like this 12 year old boy kind oh, of yeah. like as your seat, <laughs> yeah. looking out the window, having trouble concentrating in class. Um, you know, so, uh, but that's Chris, also you never knew me until today and you just nailed it, man. Right, you just right? nailed it. I can see it, dude. It's obvious. I really um, want to re return the favor of some of my college professors. So I'm calling mine what they, uh, in boarding schools, will call a headmaster holiday. So I can't wait to drive over put a note on the door that says headmaster holiday. See you in the lift line. That's awesome. You bet. Um, so, uh, so the, the, we, we, we try to ask our, our podcast guests for sort of like um, 
they're not canned questions, but they're standardized questions. So this is a standardized test we're going to give you nice. um, uh, because there's ever, you know, they're increasingly popular in education, not right. Um, uh, but it's a little bit like uh, the, the actor studio, right? What was that show called? I'm forgetting the yeah, name of it. I think that's it. Yeah. Studio. Inside the actor studio. Right. Yeah. Um, so just off the top of your head, uh, if you could answer these questions um, so we can, track our data um what do you wish you could have told your 10 year old self what do i wish i could have told my 10 year old self um let's go with off the top of my head stress less and love more Mm. which was the most formative year of your life that's a tough one gentlemen um, most formative year of my life. All right, I'm going to go with, um, and I'll back it up with a short story, but I'm going to go with the year I graduated from college. Okay. I graduated and you'll laugh. Sean's already laughing. Um, <laughs> I got an invitation to go on a three week ski trip. Okay. Sounded like a blast. As you know, you graduate in June. So this was, let's go to the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And I joined two friends um, in New Zealand. And it was supposed to be a three-week ski trip. And um, after a short time, one friend actually had an injury, so had to come back. And the other friend was like, yep, time to go. Three weeks, flights in a couple of days. And I was like, I found something inside myself. I cannot return. Um, so I turned that three week ski trip into, sorry to say it, but with hitchhiking and a couple of odd jobs, like shearing sheep and everything else, about 10 months. And that was a very, that was a life changing, um, depth of a trip taught me a tremendous amount about myself, about other people and about life. That's awesome. I was laughing, not in anticipation of your story, but Chris has this thing where every time he asks that question, yeah. he wants to ask, well, uh-huh. give me the detail. Give me the story. <laughs> yeah. So I usually stop him from asking that question, but we're not going to stop you because you're our guest. I, well, you, and you and you qualified your answer and said you were going to give the short story. Yeah. And it's such an uh, unsatisfying question when you, I'm not allowed to ask. I mean, well, you're I, asking the question. I know. It's and I, I came up with the, yeah, I'm, I'm a moron. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I will say, guys. I mean, New Zealand is, uh, just for the physical beauty, uh, is, is someplace I've never been, but it's like near the top of my list of places I got to get to. Um, and I can just imagine sort of like as a 22 or three year old being there on your own, just like, I'm just going to figure this out and do this. That's, that's a great, uh, experience. Um, all right, two more, Dan. And then we're almost there. Okay. Uh, what do you hope that people will say about you at your wake? Ooh, gentlemen, that one's a tough one. Um, I, I would hope that my effort in truly caring about other people is seen by others. So Somewhere along the line um, of that man cared deeply about other people and helping other people. Just Mm -hmm. been a passion. I truly enjoy um, 
other people's success at, I enjoy having some very small dabble into paving the way for someone else to have great success. Great answer. Uh, and, and finally, uh, do you have a mantra in life or even a mantra these days? Working on it. Chris, I don't currently have one. I need one. And I've known that for a short time, but it's one that I tried a couple on for size and the sleeve length just didn't quite work. And, you know, the chest wasn't really quite there and yeah, it just didn't work. So I am in active search for one now to be blunt and honest. Dude, I think you just came up with it. I don't know if you heard yourself, but what you said was I'm working on it. Like yeah. that, that's, that's a mantra right there. I, uh, wow. Chris, not bad. My friend, that's well, impressive. Just think, isn't that what we're all doing? We're all trying to figure this shit out. Like, this is why we do men living. This is why Sean and I have these conversations. This is why yeah. we asked you to come on. So yeah. this has been a big year of figuring it out. And so the reality of I'm working on it, that's pretty damn good. Right. Uh, you're, you're, you're wiser than you're giving yourself credit for. So thank you. I'll take that compliment, sir. Uh, well, um, so it's great to meet you. Uh, are, do we get, are we going to be graced with your participation in the retreat in January? Do you Man, know? Live, I hope so. I'm still working on it. Um, it's a timing and a cost thing, but I'm still, I am desperate to do it and I would love to. All right. Well, uh, at some point I know we'll, 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 we'll meet in person, but uh, yeah. thanks for coming on board for this. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks, Dan. It was a pleasure. Loved having you. Glad Enjoy, we could finally guys. get it done. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out at menliving.org.